we can ask the question, what are you living for? What is it you really want to see happen in your life? Without a doubt, if individuals were asked that question, they would probably say something like, well, I'm living to be happy. I want to have fulfillment in my life. Maybe it's, I want to succeed in my career, my occupation. Or maybe it's something like, I want to be able to travel and see things in this world. Some of us are still on that journey and others are farther along and maybe looking back to find out whether or not we accomplished what we desired in our life. Now having goals, objectives, ambition in and of itself is not wrong. We know far too often discussions that people will have about a certain person who seems to have no drive or no motivation. And it's something like, that young man will never make anything out of himself. He's got no ambition. No, ambition is good. Ambition is appropriate. And especially if it's set on the right objectives and goals. And as we think about ambition, all we're talking about is that desire, that determination to progress in one's own business, occupation, goal, or life. Every new year, individuals express their ambition. Somehow that they want to be a better person. Maybe they're going to be faithful to their diet. They're going to be kinder to somebody. They're going to try to do something they haven't done before. And we know those resolutions often um, get discarded before we come to the end of January. For a Christian, ambition is necessary. For a Christian, ambition is appropriate if we understand what is to be our goal or our ambition. If my goal or my ambition is to have the good life, to fulfill the American dream, to have everything I can in the temporal world, then I'm no better than the rich fool of what Jesus said. Even though you have all the riches laid up and you can sit back and take your ease, today your soul will be required of you. And so it is with the individual who, while they are rich in this world, is not rich toward God. What is the appropriate goal, the ambition for the child of God? That ambition is something that we don't have to worry about a midlife crisis because we didn't obtain what we were seeking. That goal, that ambition for the child of God is valid whether I am five years old or 50 years old. That goal, that ambition for the child of God is valid no matter how far I've walked with the Lord and matured in the Christian faith. It's summarized by the Apostle Paul when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we have this as our ambition, that whether we live or we die, to be pleasing to Him. That which is the hallmark of God's people. That which is the appropriate ambition 
for the people of God is that we would be individuals who in our daily life are pleasing to the Lord. Now, how does that practically manifest itself in our experience? Well, the writer of Hebrews has something to say about that in Hebrews chapter 13. And so I encourage you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews to the 13th chapter. Now, we're not certain who the author is of the book of Hebrews. He never really identifies himself. But there are certain things about the book that at least give us an indication of whom it might be. He tells us at the very conclusion that a companion of his is Timothy. And we know for sure that Timothy spent a lot of time in companionship with the Apostle Paul. The development of this book is similar to how Paul develops his epistles. Now the difference is he makes use of a lot of the Septuagint or the Greek text that is translated the Old Testament rather than the Hebrew text where in his other writings he spends more time in the Hebrew text when he quotes from the Old Testament. But I personally can appreciate why Paul didn't identify himself when he wrote this book to Jewish believers. Because Paul was hated by the nation. And if he identified himself at the beginning, as he did in his other epistles, as typically happens with all of us, if uh, we have somebody that tells us they believe something that is contrary to what we believe, all of a sudden the red flags go up. We are emotionally antagonistic before we ever discuss anything with them. And so instead of Paul stirring up animosity about himself to the Jewish nation, he began this epistle by laying out the reality that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all of the promises that the Jewish people were looking for. If you remember in our study last time, we recognize the theme of the book of Hebrews is the sufficiency and superiority of Jesus Christ. What I need is Christ. We have recognized that in our salvation. Paul made it very clear as we studied in Galatians chapter 6, for those who have been um, putting their confident trust in Jesus Christ, who have acceptance with God, they are not bragging about themselves. They're not boasting about their race. They're not boasting about their accomplishments, as he said in chapter 6. Far be it from me that I should boast in anything except in the cross of Jesus Christ, through whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And so the child of God recognizes it's not my religion that brings me into a relationship with God. It is the reality of a relationship with a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And the book of Hebrews describes in great detail just how superior he is to any of the great men of the Old Testament, even to spirit beings themselves, because Jesus Christ is none other than God manifested in the flesh. He also makes it clear that what Jesus Christ does is far superior to what any of the Old Testament promises could ever fulfill. He inaugurates the new covenant. 
And he says, in the Old Testament, what do we have in the law? Well, we just have a picture. We have just the mere shadow of the reality of what is coming in Jesus Christ and in the new covenant. He is writing to a group who could go to Jerusalem. It's before 70 AD. They could see the priests standing every day offering the same sacrifices time after time, but those sacrifices could never take away sin. But Jesus Christ, by one offering, forever has perfected, has completed, has made acceptable those who draw near to God through him. His work is far superior. His provision is far superior. And what is essential for individuals as they have this relationship with God and walk with God in the world? Faith. Faith. And that's the focus at the end of the book of Hebrews. If I said to you, where in the Bible do you find the chapter that really speaks about God's love? The love chapter. Well, you tell me it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love. It's worthless. Where's the great chapter on faith in the New Testament? It's Hebrews chapter 11. It's by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Men and women, by faith, delighted the heart of God and bore a testimony in life that God was their Savior. As we look at this reality, go back with me to chapter 10. Notice he says, Beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, here's what we're to do. First, draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of what? Of faith. A confident understanding that God has dealt with my sin. And my sin and my lawless deeds will never be held against me again. And so I can come into his presence with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And why is it that we can be steadfast even in the midst of the difficulties of life? Because he who promised is faithful. And the third thing, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but to recognize that we are bound together in the body of Christ and are to be encouraging one another in our walk with the Lord and doing what pleases him. It is a recognition that by faith we have access to God, relationship with one another, and the understanding that we can do what is pleasing to God. 
In verse 33, he makes it clear, or excuse me, 38, that as we go through life quoting from the Old Testament, the righteous one, the just one, shall live how? By faith. By faith. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, many have thought verse 1 of chapter 11 is a definition of faith, but it is not. Let me use a, an example. If uh, you are familiar with my wife uh, and some of her likes and dislikes, you will know that a treat for her is watermelon. I mean, she drools for watermelon. And I could say to you that if you would ask Kathy about watermelon, she would say, watermelon is yummy and a refreshing delight on a hot summer day. Now, she didn't give you a definition of watermelon, but she said, watermelon is yummy and a refreshing delight on a hot summer day. She is telling you things about what watermelon does to her. Not what watermelon is. Hebrews 11 verse 1 is the same thing. It's not giving you a definition of faith, but it's telling you what faith does. How faith works. Faith provides you with an assurance, a confidence. Faith provides you with the recognition that what I don't yet see is what shall be. So as one commentary says about it, in his comment on Hebrews 11, verse 1, it's not a definition of faith, but a description of what faith does and how it works. It is not that faith is an intellectual assent to a doctrine. It is certainly not believing in spite of evidence. That would be superstition. The world fails to realize that faith is only as good as its object. And the object of our faith is God himself. So what is faith? If the righteous man, the just man, shall live by faith. Well, biblical faith, what James would call the faith that saves or saving faith, is a confidence, a dependence, a trust. It is a confident trust or dependence in the Lord God himself. And because of that, a manifestation of obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances or consequences. Now isn't that Hebrews chapter 11? Here's by faith what Abel did. Here's by faith what was true of Noah. Here's by faith what was true of Abraham. Here by faith what was true of Moses. A recognition 
that God had so worked within them that they had a confident dependence, a trust in the Lord God himself so that what God said they were to do, they sought to fulfill. Because faith does a work and it gives assurance of the heart. It gives reality to the things that are not seen. It understands that there is not anything that is too hard for the Lord. And I can depend and trust in him. Now because of that reality, having faith in the only sufficient object, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one we're to look to, chapter 12, as we run the race before us, the one through whom we live our daily life in a way that is pleasing to God, as the writer of Hebrews explains to us in chapter 12. Notice in verse 15, through him, that is through whom? Through Jesus Christ. He is the only one who makes us acceptable to God. And he is the only one who provides us the basis by which we can approach God and perform that which is pleasing to him. Through him, he says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now the first question we need to look at in this is if it says these types of sacrifices please God or delight God, then what is true of those who are offering them? They are a man or a woman of faith. For as it says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I am offering these things, I am doing these things because of my confident dependence upon God and wanting to express it in the way that he said I should. Well, the first thing that he says is necessary for me if I am offering these sacrifices in a way that delights his heart and in keeping with the way in which he said I should, it's through Jesus Christ. It has to do with the fact that I am identified with him. If it is something that is being done through Jesus Christ, it is a recognition that I as an individual and doing it as a, in the way in which he would do it. It is a recognition that I am doing it in a way which is in keeping with his person. It is a recognition that I am doing it in a way in which he enables me to do so. Because if you are an individual who is living by faith, it means day in and day out, you are depending upon God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. That's the life of faith. And when you look at any of the commands of God, whatever they may be, it is a recognition that for God to have these things fulfilled in me, 
I am depending upon God to do in me what he is saying I should do through Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in the analogy he used in the upper room about him being the vine and we are the branches? Apart from me, you can do how much? How much? We fail to remember that, don't we? Because we think our ambition is to be a better person, to follow these principles, to be a good Christian. That's not by faith. By faith is resting upon, trusting in God to do in and through me what I cannot do by myself. Doesn't mean I ignore them. It doesn't mean I sit back and say, well, I guess I don't need to do it unless God works in me. The reality is God is working in his people. And I look at what he says I should do and I am depending upon him to make it a reality within my life. Through him, do what? Two things. First, he says, offer up the sacrifice of praise, which is what? Thanksgiving. Now, how frequently should you do that? Well, we ought to do it when we get together on Sunday to worship. Well, we ought to do it when we have our quiet time in devotions. We ought to do it when things are going well and we feel good about it. Let us continually, it is to be characteristic of God's people. And what is to be characteristic of God's people? They are to be a people who are characterized by praise and gratitude or thanksgiving. If we go back to the Old Testament and we look at the expressions of praise, we find in the book of Psalms that they are to be joyful expressions of our gratitude and thanksgiving to God for who he is and for what he has done for us and is doing for us each day. So often we go through each day and we fail to recognize, as David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Forget none of his benefits. What do you have that you have not received? God is the one who has authored the blessings that you have in your life. And as a child of God, your life is to be one that is expressing The praise that he deserves. You know, God says the one that offers praise, the one that offers thanksgiving, honors me. And the way in which I honor God, the way in which I glorify God, the way in which I give him the uh, accolations that he deserves, is that in my daily life, I am characterized by praise and thanksgiving to God. What attends that reality? It is a recognition that my ambition living in this life is not to gain all the goodies for myself. It's not a selfish form of living of how I can just enrich and better myself. But the sacrifices that please God have to do with doing good and with sharing. To know that what God has given me 
is a provision by which I can enrich and enhance the lives of others. And if I have the opportunity to do that, I need to be sure I'm doing it in a way that delights the heart of God. And the way that delights the heart of God is when I give like he gives. And I am so grateful that my father in heaven never sits there and says, oh, I don't believe it. I got to give grace to Joe again. God gives and he gives and he gives again. There is no limit to his giving and he does so both willingly and cheerfully. You want to know what kind of a giver delights the heart of God? Yeah, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that God delights in a cheerful giver. Greek word translated cheerful is what we get in English, the word hilarious. God delights in a hilarious giver. I can't believe I have the opportunity to give. I look forward to the opportunity to give. That's the way God works. And if I am offering the sacrifices that delight the heart of God, that are being promoted and given by my dependence upon God, then they are being done cheerfully, joyfully, with a desire to give more to benefit and enrich the lives of others. Through Christ alone. Through Him. So when people look at you, do they see in you this life of faith that shows you're depending upon God to do through you and in you and for you what you can't do for yourself? Do they see in you an expression of the joy of being a child of God? Are you an individual whose life is contagious and others envy what is there? And wish it could be part of their portion as well. That's New Testament living. That's the child of God living in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. That's the reality of being controlled by the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks is part of it for all things. That's what separates the people of God from others. It's not hard to thank God for some rich uh, benefit that's been bestowed. But Job, in the midst of his calamity, when he experienced the financial loss of his business, the death of his ten children, could say, the Lord gives... The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that was a genuine, heartfelt expression. In the midst of his tears. In the midst of his grief. 
He knew that God was the one that was ordering the affairs of his life. And so even in this extreme calamity, he could bless the name of the Lord. Do you really believe Romans 8, 28? We know what? God is working all things. Hard things, easy things, difficulties, disappointments. God's working all things together for good through him. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that give thanksgiving to God and doing good and sharing. God's people are to be known as individuals who in this life seek to enrich and enhance the well-being of others as they praise the great God who has done so much for them. When Paul described it to the Thessalonians, he said, in whatever circumstance you're in, in everything, give thanks. You know why? That's the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Living in a way that delights God is being a person who is filled with joy and gratitude for the privilege of being a child of God. And knowing that God is working in my daily circumstances in the way that it is for my best good and to provide me with the opportunities to bear witness of my all-sufficient Savior and enrich the lives of others. At the end of chapter 13, the writer has a benediction. And in that benediction, beginning in verse 20, he says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Where? Through Jesus Christ. Christ, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So in this benediction, it is a recognition that God has accomplished a miraculous thing. He has accomplished our salvation. And the capstone of that in the person of Jesus Christ is he triumphed over death itself. He raised him from the dead. And that power of God doing this, what we would consider impossible. Because as we look at the chilling reality of death, it seems so permanent, so final. And yet God raised Christ from the dead as a certainty for us to know that we too will share in that resurrection. He's the one that equips He's the one that enables. He's the one that provides us with what is necessary to do what? To do what's pleasing to him. He's the one that enables us to accomplish what he asks of us to do. Equipping you in every good thing to do his will. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And what we know is that the Spirit of God is given to us. And he's the one that works within God's people. 
not only to change us into the image of Jesus Christ, but he is also the one that is working within us so that our lives are being more and more in accordance with what delights and pleases the heart of the Father. When you look at the commands that God has given to his people, do you understand that God really wants you to do what he says? For example, Jesus said, love one another. How? Even as I have loved you. And by this, the whole world will know what? You're really one of my disciples. They're going to not know that you're really a child of God because you go to church. They're not going to really know you're really a child of God because you carry your Bible. They're not going to know that you're really a child of God because you've memorized different passages in the scripture. By this, all men will know that you're really one of my disciples if you love one another even as I have loved you. How about when it comes to forgiving? Does God want you to forgive one another? Does God want you to be tender-hearted and kind to one another, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you? That kind of forgiveness that God gives is without any limitation, isn't it? My sins and my lawless deeds, God will never hold those against me again. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgressions from us. Now how about our petty little differences by which we think we have a right to be opposed to a brother or a sister in Christ? Forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. These are imperatives. These are commands. These are things that God is demanding to be true of his people. But notice what it says here. He is the one that equips his people to do what he is commanding of them that is pleasing in his sight. Living by faith means I recognize that the commands of God that he has given to me are really the opportunities for the spirit of God to do in me and through me what he's commanding. And I am depending upon him to make me a more loving person that can love my brother and sister in Christ, even as Christ has loved me. Unconditionally, without reservation, seeking his or her highest good in every circumstance. That regardless of the offense, because of the forgiveness that God has given to me, the Spirit of God is working within my heart to make me a genuinely forgiving person. And I will not hold that offense against my brother or my sister in Christ. The commands of God are really the things that I can anticipate that His Spirit will work within me. Why? Because the same God who had that miraculous power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is the God who in that power is at work within his people to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And as I go through each day, I get knocked down. I get people saying unkind things to me. I have circumstances that want to blow me away. I have the reality of the Spirit of God working in me 
to fulfill what God has demanded of me. So when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he could say to them, you know, to prove to be the innocent children of God, do all things without what? Murmuring or complaining. What's characteristic of the world? It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too dry. It's too wet. It's too whatever. Nothing's ever right. Always murmur, 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 murmur. Always complaining and griping. Do all things without murmuring and complaining. To prove that you are the innocent children of God without blemish. For God is at work in you, both to will and do his good pleasure. God has brought you into that difficult, disappointing, impossible circumstance. So that there might be manifested the power of God that is a supernatural working within an earthen vessel that he might receive the glory. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. In the same way when Paul also wrote to the uh, Philippians and thanked them for the gift that they had sent to help him with his financial needs. He said, I haven't been thanking you because I'm hoping that will stir you up to give me another gift. He said, because I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance think the King James has, for whatever state I am in. So if I'm in Alabama, I can still be content. <laughs> if I'm in Florida, I can still be content. If I'm in Texas, I can still be content. He's not talking about that circumstance. He's talking about your station in life. There's times you have financial pressures. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You have other times that Paul said, I have an abundance. But I know how to suffer need, and I know how to get along with prosperity. Because the danger in prosperity is you trust in your riches rather than trusting in God. That's why the world calls it the almighty dollar. I am depending upon God regardless of my circumstance in life. And so Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so as I live my life, I have an expectation that God is going to do in me and through me that which is pleasing to him. So how do I do it? That's very simple. Chapter 3. Therefore, or excuse me, chapter 12. Verse 1 through 3. Therefore, in light of what I've been saying about the just needs to live by faith, and if someone is not, God has no pleasure in that individual. I have the need of endurance to hang in there in the times of difficulty. I have the need to see God at work within me, to give me joy that even when I am in the Philippian prison. At midnight, I can sing hymns of praise to God. Through Christ, therefore, since you have so great a cloud of witnesses, who's that crowd of witnesses? Men and women who faced 
overwhelming circumstances and difficulties in life, but who depended upon God to take care of them, to accomplish his purpose through them, regardless of what the consequences might be. Some individuals, by faith, shut the mouths of lions, but other individuals, by faith, were torn apart by those beasts in the Colosseum. But both just as certainly we're trusting and depending in God regardless of what the consequences might be. You have so great a cloud of witnesses, men and women who have lived by a dependent trust in the Lord to take care of them, to watch over them, to provide for them, having so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us Let's set aside the sin that so easily entangles us. You know what that is? Compromise. Doesn't matter. Complacency. But instead, let's run the race set before us. The point is, God has a purpose for your life and for mine. He has laid out how he is going to use you to bring honor and glory to his name. What is to be your outlook and focus? Not like Peter, to turn your attention to John and say, but Lord, what about him? Remember what Jesus said back to Peter? What is that to you? You follow me. It isn't what God's doing through other brothers or sisters in Christ. It isn't what God's accomplishing through other individuals. You have a race that God has set before you. And yours is to run with endurance. Depending upon God. To uphold you, sustain you, and to use you for his glory. And what do you need to keep looking at? Well, any individual that runs uh, track or cross-country, whatever, knows very well. You don't turn around and look and see where the opponents are. You certainly don't stare at your feet. You keep looking ahead to the goal. And so it's looking unto Jesus, fixing your focus on Jesus, because what's true of him? He's the source of your faith. See, it isn't how big is your faith, but it's how big is the object of your faith. Looking unto Jesus, the author, and who brings faith to its proper conclusion, the finisher of faith. He is both our example and our enabler. What are you living for? Can you really say with Paul, we have this as our ambition, that whether we live or we die, regardless of how far along we are in our journey, that we might be pleasing to him. When that context, when he said we, that we live as our ambition to be pleasing to him, he said, because we walk by faith and not by sight. We are individuals who have had the privilege of God showing to us that he is more than capable of taking care of us. And our dependence is upon him to do in us as earthen vessels what he commands of his people in his word. 
and I should be expecting that through you or through me, we are all going to stand back with our jaws open because this God does beyond all we could ever ask or think. One of the great privileges I've had to encourage my own walk is to see a brother or sister going through extreme difficulties and circumstances, dying of cancer, financial issues, whatever they may be, and to hear them contentedly praising God and reminding me that whatever God brings in my path as his child, designed for my good, he will give me the grace sufficient to not only endure it, but to have victory both over it and through it. My ambition, no matter how long I've walked with the Lord, is to delight the heart of God. And it is through Jesus Christ that he enables his people to do so. Let's pray.